to fatherhood podcast i'm your host my name is kelly and i'm here to remind you however you're listening and wherever you're listening that as dads we're just like moms except we're dads This is just going to be an open conversation about having having experienced a miscarriage and having lived through it and how it affected us, you know, how it shifted things in our in our experiences. I know it can be very easy to shift into talking about how we perceive it affected our partners. So I'm going to try to keep us from going to that side too much because I really want this to be focused on what it was like for you what it was like for me and all of those implications. So of course, we're going to have to bring in our partner's perspectives and feelings as well, but we're going to try to keep it grounded, always coming back to what was that like for you? What did that mean for you and for me and what have you? So uh, I'm going to introduce myself first, and then I'll ask you to introduce yourself afterwards. My name is Kelly Jean-Philippe. I host the Welcome to Fatherhood podcast I am a father of one and another one on the way. I think by the time this comes out, maybe my little man will be born. I'm not sure. Um, so I have I will have two sons and that will be it. My firstborn is two and a half going on about 22 years old. It's been a challenge to really to bargain and reason with a toddler who is fiercely independent and fiercely lazy at the same time. We're here because we both share something in common. Uh, My wife and I, we've been married for four years. Uh, We've known each other our whole lives. And she and I have had multiple miscarriage experiences and each one was different than the first. Um, And as a result of that, it's something that's dear and near to my experience. And because I know how it affected me, I was curious to reach out to other men who had gone through the same thing. And so I'm so thankful you responded to the ad that I had circulating on IG. So I'm going to stop talking and ask you to please introduce yourself. My name is Sean Johnson. Most people know me by Sean John. Uh, I am originally from the Chicagoland area. Chi-Town, stand um, so, up. Yeah, Chi-Town, Windy City, stand up. Um, and so live there. I like still call that home in some ways, but uh, most ways I don't as I've been living in uh, the state of Florida, specifically north central Florida, Gainesville area uh, for a little over 11 years now. Uh, and in between there, I've lived in Minnesota Went to school in Indiana, uh, refereed my Indiana Hoosiers. You know, come on, Mike Woodson, win us a championship. Uh, and so, loved my experience there, um, and it got me really grounded into a lot of working with uh, college athletes, but also college students in general, 
So uh, I have a background in education and working with college athletics, which is what brought me to Gainesville, which is what introduced me to my wife um, of six years now. We've been together nine years. Um, and so I like to say bro. that. Thank you. Thank you. She is the woman that I will say, um, when they say for better or for worse, is sickness and in health. Uh, she has been there with me for the better, for the worse, and definitely when it comes to me in sickness um, and definitely in, in the healthy moments of my life as well. Um, so I am a father of my uh, miracle daughter, Esther Grace Marlene Johnson. Um, and then I have three angels. Um, so wife and I, uh, when we uh, started trying to start our family, we had uh, three uh, miscarriages before uh, we had our, our daughter, Esther. Um, and even just all of that is the, the conception of Esther is a, a beautiful story and amazing story in itself. Um, and so I, I saw the ad and I'm just excited to share our story is uh, share my story uh, more specifically. Um, my wife and I live by this phrase called vulnerability leads to victory. Um, it is something that we truly believe in our vulnerability and telling our story is not going to give us this rah, rah, happy, go lucky, you know, victory, but really it allows us to kind of show others how you can continue to progress forward, uh, even in situations like this. And um, that phrase in itself is kind of what helped me even get to this point today to be, you know, on this uh, this episode with you, this conversation with you, uh, Kelly, and just being able to um, really just share, not just a story, but share a testimony, my heart and more. Man, thank you so much for uh, introducing yourself. So let's just jump right into it, brother. Um, yeah. You mentioned having experienced, unfortunately, three miscarriages. My yeah, wife and I also share uh, the same amount that we experienced. So let's start from let's start from the beginning, pre yeah. the first miscarriage, right? So here you are and your wife. You guys get married. Talk to me about what was your expectation about how this thing was supposed to work when a man and a woman get married? How easy <laughs> was it supposed to be? Were you predisposed to some of the challenges that you could face in trying to conceive just one life? What was your mentality like? Uh, I like to this is I like to tell this kind of part of the story is it was super random when my wife and I decided that we were going to start a family. Uh, in the way of that we came back from visiting my family in Chicago and we were like, we're hungry. We're going to stop at IHOP right at the street from our house. And we just were talking about as we go into, you know, 2018, uh, what do we want to begin to think about? And so that's when we started to talk about, um, you know, in 2019, uh, let's go ahead and start a family. And let's let's start that process. And so we really just, you know, dove into that. Uh, and when 2019 started to come along. And I think at the beginning, like, 
we we were like, this is it's gonna happen. Like we're both Christians, like God's gonna bless us, like this is what's gonna happen. We know miscarriages exist, we know that they are a possibility. Um, but I don't wanna say we didn't think not us, but we were just thinking like, um, you know, we we hope, we pray that that doesn't happen uh to us. And so um I really like to say that the understanding of the full story of where I am today with understanding um, miscarriages and pregnancy loss and infertility really does, I like to say, the first, not even half, the first quarter of our story, of my story, starts with my wife in terms of um, she wasn't ovulating. Uh, She did all the tests and everything like that. Um, and it was, you know, put on different medication and everything like that. And that's when we were like, okay, something's not happening. Um, something's not, you know, going. And the whole time, like, I'm going to do, you know, tests. I'm going to give samples. I'm going to do everything. But at the same time, at no point was I really thinking uh, there's anything to do with me like you know i think i think one of the big things kind of question, question, like what are some of the the, the thoughts the conceptions of things that go into starting a family i, I think that's where it's, there's so much emphasis put on the carrier of the baby like there's so much emphasis on are you ready to carry a baby are you preparing your body are you preparing your mind to carry you know, a baby. And so I'm praying over my wife. I'm praying with my wife. But at, at no point was I thinking, like, what do I need to do mm-hmm. to really prepare mm-hmm. for this? Um, especially physically, um, mentally, and emotionally. I just was like, any any preparation was, let me, you know, put that towards my partner. Let me put that towards my wife. Like, because I'm thinking, like, I know what she's getting ready to go through in terms of like having to carry and that's that's going to be a lot in itself. So we we had a we had a similar mindset in that I didn't think that there was necessarily anything to prepare for as you're saying because I'm not the one who's going to have to carry this child. I did feel like I had some emotional preparation uh to do and some emotional work to do as a result of my own history uh with my father and my family. And not wanting to recreate some of those things once our child got there. But at no point did I think that there would be any type of interruption in the process of, or barrier rather, in the process of getting this child here. Because come on, man, I'm healthy. She's healthy. It's supposed to happen. Bang, bang, yeah. you do that thing. And then nine months later, here, you know, you, you're walking home with, with your kid. And obviously, that's not what happened. So I've heard yeah. you mention faith in several instances in our very short conversation so far. So it's clear that that is something that forms a huge part of your life and your marriage, your worldview, mm-hmm. how you process through things and all of that stuff. So with that taken into account, let's start talking about here you are with your wife and the first miscarriage. Did faith help you navigate through that? Or did you find yourself in one of those spaces where you were beginning to wonder, 
what is going on here? Why are we experiencing this in light of mm-hmm. the faith that we have? I would say I was still mostly my faith was still there in the first one um, because it was one of those things where with the first one, um, my wife finally started ovulating and that was a thing beforehand. And so for me, when um, we had our our first loss, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm glad we got to this point. Like, I'm sad. I am am upset. I am, you know, angry, but I, we got to this point. And so it kind of was like, God, I, I know, I know what you can do. Mm. Like you, you can get us to, to the next point and the step after that. And so I was upset, like, man, why did this happen to us? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really wish it didn't, you know, but my faith still was there very strong with that first uh, loss. And so, um, so one of the things you'll probably hear me say is probably before is that um, my wife and I did something where we actually named all of our kids. Okay. And so um, our first uh, loss was our daughter, uh, Destiny Joy. And so when we lost Destiny, like it was only you know, a couple weeks in, but I was like, God, you got us to this point. Mm. And so I, I believe that you can, you can do you know what what you promised to us which is to be able to uh, start a family and have generations uh, to come what were some of the feelings that you had once that news was made clear to you once once that news broke like how did that make you feel as a man as a husband so I, I hear the part that wife started ovulating, which was the first hurdle to get through. And so the fact that yeah. you were even at that point in itself is something to celebrate. And you celebrated that. Mm-hmm. Were there any adverse feelings to this experience of losing your daughter, Destiny, um, and how you process that as a man? I was perplexed. It was one of those things where I, I couldn't understand it. You know, um, I really, I just was so at a loss. So um, I, it was one of the things is that my wife and I heard the names Esther and Elijah, you know, very early on, like even before we had the conversation about when we were going to start a family, we heard the names Esther and Elijah. So right around, probably a few months before um, we lost Destiny, I heard the name, like, clear as day, Destiny Joy. Mm. And I just couldn't, like, shake. Like, why was I hearing this name? Like, I, I, I heard it. My wife didn't hear it. My wife was like, okay, maybe that's another child. Like, that's fine. Like, you know, we don't know how many kids God is going to bless us with to uh, naturally birth. And so losing destiny, I was very perplexed. Mm. I was like, God, why would you give me that name when you weren't going to bring the past like mm. this kid? You know, as a father, I was sitting here, as a man, not even as a father, as a man, I I felt frustrated that I, I didn't know how to process my own feelings in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I'm supposed to, you know, support my 
my wife, but at the same time, I'm also like, when I do choose to process my own feelings, I don't even know where I'm supposed to begin. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I I think that, uh, you know, Kevin Hart's movie Fatherhood is, there's that pivotal scene where he goes into the, like the parenthood course and everything. Mm -hmm. And he walks in and it's a ton of moms and they're like, oh, this, this course, this is for moms. It's like, well, no, it said parents. Yeah. And I think that's the thing where I was very reflexive. I didn't know where to go. I was like, I'm a father. Like, who do I talk to uh, about this? And so uh, I did have one friend who experienced loss, and I was able to process some with them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was just like, I don't even know where to begin with them. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a man, I just was like, I felt lost because I said, once again, outside, even outside of the parameters of parenthood, I don't, I don't feel like I have a resource as a man to process my feelings. And so, we talk a lot about men and mental health, but where, where do I go mm-hmm. for that? Like in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think that's where I, I just perplex is the word that I always go back to when it comes to destiny because I, I just really didn't know. In that, and in those immediacy that instances, like I just didn't know how to feel. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to feel, um, and so I just perplex is really the word I always uh, come back to. some of the difficulties, if there were difficulties that you experienced being perplexed, not knowing how to handle and process your own stuff with the exception of that one friend, but also feeling this sense, as I imagine you felt this sense of having to support your wife. And so did it seem like she had places to go to? And so it was a little bit easier for her. Like what were some of those dynamics in terms of how you saw each other now as a result of this really devastating event? Man, that's a good question. I think I think we saw each other almost in a way of like, we want to support each other, but how do we really support each other? Yeah, yeah. Like, what, like, what do you say to each other? Like, you, it's weird to say to your spouse, like, sorry for your loss. Yeah. Like, and it's like, sorry for your loss. Like, you know, yeah. how do you really yeah. navigate that yeah. together? Mm. Um, and, and I will say this is that I think that you say, I think a lot of people see like, oh, there are the resources for, uh, for women, for moms. But I mean, miscarriages and pregnancy loss, infertility is still such a taboo topic. Mm. You know, we, you can see the the science, the statistics that and say the one in four, but at the end of the day, if it's four out of four people in the room that have had a miscarriage, 
you might only have one out of four people that might be willing to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And so I think for my wife and I, it was really like, how do we talk to each other? So, 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 here, so here, that, here's this yeah. interesting thing. You're both experiencing this thing together. Mm-hmm. How easy or difficult was it for you guys to have open, raw, transparent conversations about going through a miscarriage, whether it was destiny or whether it was any of the other uh, two, I can't put any names to them yet. Cause you haven't yeah. said which names, um, you know, what yeah. their names were, but with either of them or, or any of them rather how easy yeah. or difficult it was to even have that conversation with your spouse. It was tough. Um, and I, as I re- have reflected on it over the years, I think it was tough because we didn't make space for it really. Mm. Um, And I think we didn't make space for it because we didn't make space for it, but we didn't make space for it because at the time of our first loss, it was um, uh, in the summer of 2019. Mm -hmm. And so with, uh, with that in my old uh, job, my previous position, like once mid July came, you know, I was basically working every day, you know, eight to 12 hour days, um, you know, trying to get uh, uh, you know, dormitories ready for college students to come in, mm-hmm. trying to train, you know, students, trying to basically serve other people and have help. And the, here's the other thing. Here's the irony of it is that I was working to have help college students prepare for difficult conversations and how to understand how to make space for these crucial conversations, these courageous conversations. And I wasn't even doing that at home. And so, you know, there was a whole like period of time where we weren't making space, but in some ways I was not allowing there to be space because I didn't want that to be you know, I feel like it was like going to be an interruption yeah. uh, to the work that I felt like I needed to be doing. I think for me and my wife, the first time that it happened, someone, and I've shared this before, someone had planted a seed in the back of my mind, which I think, you know, is a very harmful seed to plant in the mind of anyone who is trying to be a parent whether it's the first time or multiple times over. Uh, And I forget who I always get frustrated because I can't remember exactly who said that thing, but the person basically said, don't be surprised if the first one doesn't stick. And so that phrasing is so dismissive of the toil that it really can be in order to produce just one life, especially for people like you and I, who prior to my son being born, we experienced several miscarriages, right? When we went into the appointment to confirm whether or not this pregnancy was viable and it turned out to not be viable, in the back of my mind, that refrain was sort of ringing, oh, the first one didn't stick, so it didn't really matter. And that really set the frame for and the context for how I related to my wife, which was very dis- 
distant. It was very callous. There was no connection there. I couldn't understand why she was feeling so emotional about this thing because what's the big deal? The first one didn't stick. Right? Like, it's... Yeah. No, that's a dangerous seed to have planted because it, it like, it, it shifts your mindset automatically in the way of this is how, like, I should prepare my feelings. It, it, it's, it sets the, it like normalizes and, and neutralizes whatever it is that my wife was feeling. It neutralized me against feeling that. Like I, I couldn't, Ooh. I couldn't process that. So of course I see my wife is sad and I see that, you know, she's having a hard time. And so I'm trying my best to support and give her space and what have you, but also getting frustrated because she's not talking to me. And now I feel like I'm being left out and a whole lot of the things that I didn't want my marriage to be like because of what my parents' marriage, you know, what that looked like. And I'm seeing some of those things being, and so it was just a mess to the point where I, I lashed out at my wife and I was like, listen, you're not talking to me. Why don't you talk to me? You know, my, my, I saw my parents be like that and this and that. And here she is carrying all of that. And she broke down and she's like, I just need time to process. But I didn't know what was there to process. Yeah. Because again, it's going back to the, there's no big deal. The first one didn't stick. stick. That first experience encapsulated is something that when I think about it now, you know, I, I obviously feel horrible about the way that I responded, the way that I didn't respond, um, and the way that my wife needed me to. Um, but the expectations around what it means to when two people are trying to have a child can really frame how someone or or a, a pair, a couple navigate through that situation if their first instance is, you know, what you and I have experienced, which was a, a, a miscarriage. That, I, and I, I can only imagine, like, if someone told me, like, the first one, it's not going to stick. That would be tough for me because it, it is. It's a seed. Like, I think that's a great analogy, like, a great thought of, like, someone plants a seed because that's, there it starts to grow roots. You start to think like anything that's going wrong, like you're like, well, I mean, this is what it's been leading to the whole time. The first one doesn't stick. And and now like here we are and, and this has happened. And so I I know for me, I, I would say I'm I know I'm glad I nobody said that to me. It probably would have threw me off even more. Mm. Um but I just know my 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 wife and I like for once we tr- started trying to talk about it, you know, it really took us well over a month to have a good conversation. Mm. And even then, she would ask me like, "What are your thoughts? You know, what are you really thinking?" And I I really didn't have a lot of words. Mm. Like communication is my thing. You know, my undergraduate major was broadcast journalism. Like, you know, that's my that's my thing. And I I couldn't verbally put anything in the words and I couldn't written put anything in the words. Mm. And I just literally 
had to, I chose, not I didn't have to, I chose to sit in mm-hmm. my feelings and in my thoughts because I didn't know how to express. And so I think for, for me, it, it goes back to that me being perplexed because I just really didn't know how to uh, move forward. Um, and it was even tough because as I kept trying to think about how do I process, I'm like, who do I open up to? Yeah. Like, do I open up? Like, I'm I'm not, I'm going to work. And so I'm not just like uh, any team member. I'm, you know, I'm leading a half of a campus housing program that ultimately has 4,000 know, people, students, staff members, everything all under me. And so I'm like trying to figure out how to have to lead that. But also I'm trying to figure out how I'm supposed to be leading myself. Mm-hmm. And right now in these talks and feelings. And so um, it it took a while with with Destiny uh, to be able to truly open up. Like, and so the other thing is, is that makes it interesting is I tell people that I, I promise. And I have never gone to the doctor to ever check this, but I promise I feel like I have issues with my tear ducts. Like they just Issue, don't issues with your what? Tear ducts. With your tear ducts? Like I like I just don't I don't cry. Like I I always joke with people that's like that whole Jay-Z line, like I can't see it coming down my eyes, so I, I gotta, gotta make, make the song cry. cry. <laughs> like, like I literally I I can think that. The last time, like I, I truly deeply cried mm. for myself was like when my great uncle passed when I was in high school. You know, I mean, other times have been I was around other people. I'm sorry, y'all. I didn't cry when my wife went down the aisle. You can catch one of those videos of me, like, <laughs> like you won't. I didn't cry. That's either. just not exactly like that's just not how. My like, I my emotions are, are built, but here's the thing: I bring it up because I wanted to cry, mm. like I wanted to express the emotion that way because I felt like it would be a relief from my thoughts, mm-hmm. like from it just being stuck. Like I felt like maybe if I can't, I can't figure out how to say it. Maybe if I can't figure out how to write it, maybe I can just cry it out. Mm-hmm. And I like, I couldn't figure out. And get myself to that point. So then what did happen once you guys started talking about it? So my wife and I, like, made a decision that um, we get to tell this story. Um, and so what, you know, we started, we just said, we're going to start telling people. Um, because maybe that'll you know, lead to something, maybe it'll help us out. And when, I mean, we're not going to stop trying to have a family. Um, we're gonna figure out next steps, and so um, we started to tell people, and we uh, started to tell our family, mm. um, and that was that's always difficult because you're just like, how how are parents going to react? Mm-hmm. Like, are they going to uh, talk about kind of uh, you know from this? We really want to support you, son and daughter. Like, we just like that very loving, or are they just gonna just truly be empathetic and just just listen and be there 
with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I think that uh, I one of the first people I know I wanted to tell and I wanted to talk to um, was my brother, mm-hmm. um, and so my older brother. So my older brother has a set of twins uh, that are college age. And then he has two toddlers. And so I love my brother to life. Um, you know, I'll ride for him whenever I can. I'm a, I'll support him however I can, even though I'm the, the younger brother. And so I remember when I told him that we were, we experienced a, uh, a miscarriage, a serious loss. And um, he told me, that uh, him and his wife were pregnant. Mm. And it's like, and this was with his fourth child. So they already had another, they already had another kid, and this was his fourth child. So I'm sitting here like, uh, and so we talk about like faith. Like, this is where sometimes, like, leaning on faith is like just a literal piece of it, mm. where it's just like, oh, the worst is rejoice, those rejoice. Or with those who mourn, so I was just like, "It's my brother. I'm just gonna rejoice with him, rejoice with him and his wife." But I was still like, "That was that, that was that Mike Tyson 1980 punch." Like, mm-hmm. you know, that really I was like, "Golly, like, man, like he already got three kids. Like, mm-hmm. can I just get one?" Mm-hmm. And so, you know how that we begun was for me, I knew I needed to talk to my brother. Like, because I knew that if I could tell him, then I could tell my parents. I could tell my wife's family. Um, and so that was a huge piece um, because I just, I knew at the end of the day, that's just the type of person he is. It's just like, okay, I'm going to support you. It's so easy for some people, and especially when you're going through that process or through that experience, rather, um, it's really hard not to think about, you know, why does this person have so many kids and I'm struggling to get one? Why does this person not want their kid? And here I am. I want one and I can't get one. I mean, those those thoughts are they are what they are. I think it it, it just speaks to a deep longing, at least that I felt that this my desire to want to have a child meant something more than what I could even put into words, right? It, it wasn't just about, oh, yeah, I'm married now. So the next logical thing to do was to have kids. Why did I want to have kids? And then even, you know, deeper than that, why did I think that the reason why I wanted to have kids is a good reason in the first? I mean, so I spent a whole lot of time in my in my head just thinking about that as a result of experiencing the miscarriage and just to see people out there, you know, walking with their kids and doing all of that stuff. It was like it, it was kind of like a, a, a slap to the face. And And I work in a setting where in a pediatric setting. And so I saw people you know, who, who were bringing their kids in, kids who are sick, kids who are being born, uh, unfortunately, kids who are also dying, 
um, kids who are being abused. And especially that last category is like, why do you do this to your kid? You know what I mean? Like that, that it, it was, it was a really hard space to be in because of what my wife and I were going through. So yeah, like I you talk about like the, just really where these feelings are. And like, you know, when you begin to think about, you know, where others are, like, and how they're experiencing their with family starting and everything like that. So one of the, the cool things was that my wife and I also had people that um, we found out were, you know, trying to get pregnant along the same timeline, along mm-hmm. the same time period where we were. Mm-hmm. But also I think one of the, the, the tough things with the journey was, it's like when I talk about that, you know, rejoice with those rejoicing more with those more, it gets even more convoluted when you start to think about like, miscarriages but also just the the journey of starting a family because it's one of those things where my wife and I found out like we were trying to to like conceive and like uh and we were trying to birth the baby and so I'll use that like we were trying to birth the baby mm-hmm. and we found out we had people that were just trying to conceive and so like we we're talking about we had a miscarriage and we got we knew people who weren't even able to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so like for me as a as a man and me trying to process this myself, I was even more so like like should I be more like excited for you know being able to conceive mm-hmm. like since there's other people who are not even able to conceive mm-hmm. like should I just like how do I do I put this in my own box right now? Like where do I really, you know, begin to now navigate this as as we're Leading into more and more, my wife are like, and I are like, all right, we're going to start trying again. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're going to start trying for um, what ended up being, um, you know, our son uh, KD King David. So with KD, it was like we're 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 thinking like, okay, this is when your ovulation is, um, and so how do we now get to that point while we are still emotionally healing? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something like, you know, like we say, like, as we started earlier, like, you know, the way parenthood and starting a family start, it's like, you know, it's less like Marvin Gaye. Let's get it on. Let's do the dang thing. You know, let me give you some of this sexual healing, wifey. Um, and then we gonna look up, boom, pow, we got a little one and that's on the way. And it's supposed to be such an emotional, emo, an act, a great act of emotional intimacy. Mm-hmm. But how do you have a great act of emotional intimacy when you're not emotionally healthy? Facts. Yeah. And that's something where I'm like, to this day, still process. Like, you know, I, there's so much conversation about wholeness and, and being brave and everything like that. And I was like, okay. I started to be vulnerable, but I'm not emotionally whole right now. Yeah. I'm not fully emotionally healthy, but I need to, and I want to continue to move forward um, in this journey for the the love of my wife, but also for the the love that I have for God in terms of the promises that I know he said were going to happen. But again, like I definitely wasn't 
emotionally ready for that. And so I wasn't physically ready. I remember, I still remember the night my wife and I uh, um, conceived our son, KD. I was sick. <laughs> like, literally, I was like, and here's the thing. I'm not one of those people that get sick like that. Like, I might have, just like many of us do, like, I might have some sniffles, I might have a cough, but, like, when I get sick, like, it's like my body just went through a seven-game NBA Finals series, like, and it's, like, the next day after all the hype, now my body is, like, done. Control, all delete, shut down, no reboot. And that's how I felt, and my wife is like, yeah, let's do this already, and I'm like, all righty, let's go. I'm like, I'm having to like mentally stretch <laughs> to like get myself in the in the mindset to be like, yes, like, and that's that's not a good thing, but you gotta like mentally prepare to like be physically intimate with your with your wife. Like, I love my wife, like, man. And so, and I was just like, uh, but I I really. I say all that to say is just like I couldn't I, w- I couldn't physically be as ready because I wasn't feeling as well physically on it adding into that that emotional mm-hmm. you know, like that's where I was and definitely the mental health because I'm trying to figure out like how to still process mm-hmm. where we were mm-hmm. and so then to get to that point where um, you know we we go in the doctor they say like oh yes like you are pregnant but then you go into that i don't know if you all experience it you go into that doctor's appointment and, and they get all quiet like you start thinking about before like y'all was real talkative y'all talking about how much y'all love each other but y'all got real quiet all of a sudden y'all ushered us to the next room quickly mm-hmm. like something don't feel mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so uh, and sure enough that's when they're like already so Here's where we are. We don't see a heartbeat, um, but we'll come back in, you know, a week or so. We'll check again and we'll see, um, you know, what's going on. And that kind of was, I like to say, that was that losing losing KD, man, like it was, that was one, not because it's like, oh, a father losing his son, but it was, that was where my wife and I got people to pray with us. Mm. Um, that was where we, um, you know, we called all type of people. We called our family. Like, I remember we had people trying to intercede, trying to do all type of stuff. Like, we, you know, even before the hours before the appointment, when our church's prayer path, praying, worshiping, like, God, you're going to do this. Like, God, we know you're going to come to pass. Like, God, we're going to go in there and we're going to hear a heartbeat. Like, we're declaring it. We're not like, will God, like, if it's in your will, please let this heart. We're like, no, God, we're going to walk in this room. There's going to be a heartbeat heard. Like, you are going to do what you say. Like, we, like, the whole on Mount Sinai, on Mount High, everything type of worship of prayer. And then we go into the room and they're like, sorry to tell y'all, we still don't mm. see a heartbeat. So here's the options. Like, you know, you got to, um, you know, either we can perform a DNC or you can, um, you know, y'all, y'all can take these pills, y'all can do this. And this is a time where um, it's the end of semester, which is one of my busiest seasons mm. at, in that job I had. Um, 
you know, we're trying to move thousands of college students out of the dorm and get them off for the holidays. Um, you know, my wife works at a church, and so Christians at Christmas, like trying to get worship services together for the holidays, all the holiday parties, everything like that. Um, and so, and we're trying to think about our, we're getting ready to go um, to Chicago that year for uh, the holidays. And so we're just like, already, how do we try to think about when to have, mm-hmm. you know, either uh, a surgery or for my wife to take some pills that's going to, you know, give her some, you know, some pain. Yeah, let things uh, pass Where she's not going to give them yeah. to be at work. And so, um, so it, it's like, for me, I'm just like, man, how do you even begin to process now that you got yourself hyped? You get in, you get to the point where you can see, like, because we didn't have, that's something with uh, Destiny, we uh, we didn't get it. We didn't even get the doctor's appointment. Mm-hmm. That first doctor's appointment. So with KD, we're like, all righty, we got to the doctor's appointment. Like, yes, like, come on, we we moving in the right direction. First doctor's appointment, we can see the you know uh, something on screen, and then to be like, no, yeah, like you can see something, but no, yeah, it's it's nothing. It's 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 not living. With all of these experiences in mind, did you feel like you had permission to talk about how difficult going through this experience was for you apart from your wife? No, nah, I can I can tell you now. Here's here's the exact example of why I didn't feel like I had permission. My wife's in surgery, and I'm going to update everybody to tell people like, "Hey, thanks y'all, thank y'all for praying." But, you know, it, it it did happen. Like, he's in surgery right now. Um, and so, because, you know, we still held on to hope right up until the last moment. Um, it did happen. And I still, like, vividly remember going into the bathroom at this hospital and going to a stall and, like, just beating my hands against the wall and the stall door and just, like, letting out one of those, like, wailing cries, you know, just, you know, not giving you sinus headache type cry. Mm. And then having to like suck it up and walk out the bath like nothing happened. Mm. And go back into this waiting room for them to tell me, all right, you know, you walked out of surgery. And so I never felt like I had permission. Matter of fact, I I went back to work probably the next day, like after my wife's now. So now I, I, I felt like I had, I, like I had the 
permission to like tell people like you know, my mom, a direct supervisor, my supervisor, supervisor who uh, was a close family friend, first married, my wife and I, you know, took us through marriage counseling. So like I told them and even my like, you know, boss boss like he was like, man, like he was crying. He was like, I just your strength is remarkable. Like just that you are going through this, but you're able to be here and you're still able to like use it as a testimony and remain so strong. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what else to be right now. Mm. My my entire life, I've been so strong for so many other people. I don't know how to possibly allow myself to depend on somebody else to be strong for. What would you have hoped your supervisor had said to you at that moment? Or what would you have hoped would have happened if instead of going into the bathroom, you were snot crying and banging against the walls in a public place? How would you have hoped that people who you either shared that with would have responded to you in those moments? There's two things. I think one, I think I just need to like, just be held. Like, I know it sounds cliche, but like, I just felt like inside, I just wanted one of those where like you fall out and you don't, like anybody seen the, uh, the movie Best Man Holiday when his wife, like they, they lowered the casket and, you know, he's, he's at the grave falling out and Kate Diggs goes to grab, yeah, more, yeah, Morris Chester is falling out and Tay Diggs goes to grab him and hold him. Like, that's how I felt mm-hmm. in those moments of like, man, I wish I could just like fall out. Somebody would just say like, I got you right now. Mm-hmm. Just stay here and like, just stay here as long as you need. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and so I think that's where I, I, I hope for it. And, and then even in the, the bathroom of the hospital, I I hope that I I mean I wish somebody would have probably just said, Hey, I'm I'm going to I'm gonna call you. Like I'm not even gonna say if you need anything, call me. Like I'm just going to call you. Mm. And I will sit on the phone with you. Like you can cry, you can do whatever. Like we ain't kind because I think the thing is is that I'm like, ain't most people they don't know as you go type so like you still could just could have like called just been there. I think that's what I I would have hoped for um in those moments was just to to be held and, and physically and or emotionally mm-hmm. um because I just didn't know I didn't know how to be strong. Like I didn't know what strength would look like for me. I think with not I think I know now for sure that with losing destiny, like I, I that was so much more um me trying to figure out how to be a husband for my wife well, while also trying to process my family. Mm-hmm. Whereas with KD, it was me for the first time of being like, how as a father am I trying to process these feelings? Mm-hmm. Like how do I want to process? Like, like how am I even acknowledge that these feelings this deeply exist? Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think I echo this that same sentiment. For me, what was challenging was the fact that 
in the first two loss of pregnancies, um, my wife had asked me not to share with anyone that we were expecting. So I couldn't say anything to anyone. And that felt like I was trapped with myself. Um, not only could I not readily share with her because she was going through this again. Mm -hmm. um, although I think the second time I empathize a lot more with her since it affected me as if it were the first time. So how I felt the, the second time is what I imagined she felt like the first time it happened. Mm -hmm. Um. And so dealing with the memory of that first time, now with the realization of what something like this feels like and what it does to my mind, what it did to my mind, and then trying to put myself in my wife's shoes, like, oh, my God, this is the second time she's going through this. Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect of it, as well as the aspect of, Nobody else knows that we were even pregnant. So for now to just go to people and just be like, hey, we lost this pregnancy. The questions are going to be like, wait, y'all was pregnant? And, and I don't need that yeah. right now. Right. Like yeah. I need somebody to help me carry this thing that I'm carrying. And I feel like I'm carrying okay. it by myself. So, yeah, dude, just like you, I just. I just needed to to break out of this box that I felt I was in to just have someone come and be like, like you said, sit right here next to me, hold me, listen to me, let me vent, um, whatever the case is. And, you know, I, I personally have this, I have a dislike for the expression, you're so strong. Especially in moments when, you know, in these vulnerable moments, you say your, your supervisor, your boss said, you're so strong because how could you be going through this? And yet you're still here. Mm -hmm. I wish you would have just said, you have no business being here. Go back home. Right. So that that would have been, in my humble opinion, that would have been a much more sympathetic approach and and show of support to what you were experiencing. Hey, man, listen, we got it all taken care of here. You clearly have bigger things to take care of, bro. Go home. Like, don't even worry about the implications of that. Your time. Go home. That's that's where you need to be. Go home. So that would yeah. have been a better approach. But this whole thing of, oh, man, you're so strong. What the heck does that even mean? What does that mean? Yeah. Like, I'm hurting right now. What do, what? You in pain that you just don't understand. I don't even know how to express and explain the pain that I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you mean? I'm so strong right now. When, when, when people say that, the question that I have in my mind is, what do they expect the person that they're saying this to, to hear from, from that expression? So when your, when your, when your manager said that to you, what did you hear in that moment? When I heard you so strong, it's like, 
Yeah, like just kind of scratching my head now. It's like <laughs> inside, I'm like, oh, like goodness gracious. Because of who the person was, I gave them a lot of grace. Sure. But in reality, I'm also like, I'm frustrated. They're like, how could you say that? Like, why mm-hmm. would you say that? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm also frustrated and angry at how we live in society that doesn't prepare like people how to have like supportive conversations sometimes. Mm. Because I think that's the thing is to say, I'm not, not like I've never put my foot in my mouth and, you know, conversations and probably have used it. I probably have used the phrasing with someone, you are so strong. And so I'm frustrated and angry and mad in so many different ways, but in that immediacy right there with my supervisor, and my supervisor, supervisor, like we're we're in this office, and I'm just like, I think that I felt, let's say, I felt brave in that space, but I didn't feel psychologically or emotionally safe in that space. Mm. And I think that's something where, like, yeah, I'm strong. Like, yep, you are. You are so strong. You're right. I am in this space right now. I do. I feel physically strong. Like physically strong enough to be able to stand up physically strong enough to be able to keep moving forward and get this job done. Physically strong that my frustrations in this situation could probably break this chair I'm leaning over right now. But I I think right now is I don't I'm thinking like I don't want you to see my physical strength. Like I want you to see my emotional um, vulnerability. Like lack of emotional strength right yeah. now. And so and, and I think because people think that oh, because you're here, like you are able to manage your emotions in such a way, like like, like emotional intelligence is such a huge thing. I think people are like you're able to manage your emotions, you know, so great right now that it's just like, um, yeah, you are so strong, and I'm like, I'm just like I'm physically just here right now, mm-hmm. like, and so I'm just like I'm just really how. I'm 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 walking right now, but I don't know what I'm walking through uh, because that's how that's that's just where I'm at emotionally. Yeah, right now. So when I heard like you are so strong right now, I'm just like you don't realize how weak mm. I am right now. Mm-hmm. Listen, dude, I want to respect uh, your time and again say thank you for taking the opportunity to open up about your experience and chat about uh, these things with me. The last question I'm going to ask you before we go is this is obviously something that I've spent a really long time thinking about my experience and processing through it, which is the reason why I have decided to take this step forward and creating this space for men like yourself, like myself uh, and other dads who I have spoken with who have also shared their experience to find a place where they can give voice to the stuff that they felt and perhaps even buried until this opportunity to share it. So I say all that to say, thank you for being a contributor to this space, because I know this conversation is going to be useful for someone else, even if it's one person. I want you to take the next several minutes, however long it takes you, to address a father who is going through this experience 
in light of everything that you've been through and in light of where you are currently now as a father, what would you say to encourage that guy, that dad who has just left the off, the doctor's office, having heard the words, this is not a viable pregnancy, whether this is his first attempt, second, multiple. How would you encourage that dad? The thing I would say to you is, to them is, don't lie to yourself. Mm. What I mean is, is that I, I remember um, after we lost uh, our, our, our third child, our daughter, uh, Faith, Faith Yvonne, I remember um, I actually was in the hospital. You know, I had a pain in my in my side. Um, like I couldn't, I I don't know what it was. I just couldn't, I couldn't move. Like I had to take myself to the ER during the middle of the workday because um, I was trying to be, I was trying to be physically strong, but I couldn't, I couldn't be physically strong anymore. And they start talking about, you know, stuff that it, I could die. Like I was in the hospital for for days mm. with this. And I remember getting ready to leave the hospital and they called me on my room phone to do some discharge stuff. And for some reason they asked me, oh, how many kids do you have? Mm. And I remember Eric saying like, I don't have any kids. And that felt like the biggest hurt, even more than losing all that. You know, we lost our third daughter, third yeah, third child, our, our, our second daughter, on uh, Mother's Day weekend. Mm. And as we're getting ready to celebrate, and we're we're saying like we we you know, my wife and I we made a declaration. We are going to acknowledge our kids, and it it was almost like you know Peter and Jesus, where Jesus is like, I'm finna die. And Peter's like, I would never deny you. Mm. And he's like, bro, you finna deny me three times. And I think that's the thing. Like, I was like, I will always acknowledge my kids. Mm. And then the first opportunity I got, I said, I don't have any kids. Mm. Don't lie to yourself. Like, those are your kids. Mm. Like you don't have to name them, but you also understand that like you you did the act to get there, and though it didn't come to pass, doesn't mean that you should acknowledge, you know, what you what you did. Um, also, don't lie to yourself in terms of where you are emotionally. Mm-hmm. Like no matter how physically strong you are, you know, you have to, it's your emotions that really help begin to navigate, you know, where you are in life each day. Um, you know, we talk about that a lot of times you can choose your attitude, like, and that's the opportunity where you get, it's like, you can choose kind of how you feel. Don't Don't lie to yourself in terms of uh, just how you're feeling emotionally and also the depths 
of that. I would tell, I tell uh, any father, like, and I've told some fathers this, I've told just people this in general, explore the feelings with them. Because we might just say, I'm sad, I'm angry. No, like earlier I said, I'm perplexed. Mm-hmm. Perplexed is not a, a normal feeling word. It's not a the base feeling word. And so don't lie to yourself on, on where you are. Um, don't lie to yourself on what you need in those moments. Don't don't be like me and try to fight through and say like I can I can go to work I can stay here I can do this like you know I can I can't can you know ultimately it's to like I can't I can't I can't because no matter how much you try to physically push like you emotionally aren't going to be in the space where you want to be bro I don't know how else to say thank you man I really appreciate this time that we've been able to spend in conversation and for your level of honesty and transparency and clarity and sharing your experience for bringing up some really um, meaningful insight um, based on your experience. What's, what's been fascinating about these two sets of conversations that I've had is that although the reason why we're talking is a common experience, the way that the experience has played out is in its own different ways. But the, the the feelings that we've expressed are also very common. And so it creates the sense that even though we might experience it at different points in our lives, right? What was going on in my life when it happened was different than what was going on in your life. And we're in different yeah. parts of the world and we are different people and all of that good stuff. But we went through something similar that produced very similar responses in us, very similar feelings. So this feeling of isolation when you're going through something like that doesn't have to be that way when you realize that there are other people who unfortunately have had to feel those things as a result of experiencing a miscarriage. But if there is a silver lining, is that you are now part of a very unfortunate community that exists. But it's a community nonetheless of people who can relate to you, people who can understand you or understand what you're trying to express, even when you haven't even opened your mouth. Like that's been so interesting to um to to come to that realization so again thank you for contributing and for forming part of this community um through the sharing of of your story i'll in this is that we talk about community and one of my favorite things with community is saying this community is not just the place it's what's taking place and so all of us that are contributing to this community, this, it, it now becomes, what are we doing to grow this community in terms of being supportive, finding resources, allowing, you know, um, recordings and podcasts and, and conversations like this um, to be what's taking place um, to allow this um community to to grow and, and be impactful and so um 
you know, let's, I think it is key that, yes, it's unfortunate that I am in this group, but it's also um, an opportunity to um, contribute to the growth of individuals as well within this shared community.